Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host. And this week, it's been a long time coming, but I am going to be covering stories from our paranormal subreddit. And some of them are more true ghost experiences, paranormal, and others are kind of more overgeneralized paranormal experiences, no technically ghost involved. All are scary, all are good. So without further ado, let's get into it. my travel buddy. Bit of a backstory. My dad lives in the Scottish Highlands, has done so for the last 20 plus years, and I drive the 14-hour round trip to visit as often as possible, two to three times a year. I've always loved this journey, especially if I'm by myself, as there's around two to three hours of motorway or highway, followed by back roads through the mountains through forests and around locks where I can put music on and pretty much just switch off. For the most part, there's little to no phone signal, so I generally download a couple of playlists before I go, pop my phone into its holder, and blindly follow the satellite navigation until it loses signal. I've been doing this journey for years, so really I have no requirement for the satellite navigation, but I love to try and beat the estimated time of arrival. It can also be quite handy when it has signal to let me know if there are any accidents or diversions ahead. Anyhow, on this particular journey, I was coming home. I'd set off at nightfall as there's far less traffic on the overnight journeys and less chance to get stuck behind holiday makers, especially caravans. I fucking hate caravans. I was traveling south in January and the weather was something else. My car showed an outside temperature of negative 12 degrees Celsius, 10 degrees Fahrenheit, and the snow barely stopped. It hadn't stopped since I arrived at my dad's house four days earlier. My wipers were on full speed, but still the snow kept piling up on my windscreen, meaning I had to drive around half my usual speed. Every now and then, there'd be a short break in the snowfall, and everything just looked magical. I mean, it was like driving through a Christmas card. Looking down into the valleys, everything covered in a thick white blanket and lit up by a dim glow of the overhead moon, making it possible to still make out the river, weaving its way through the cracks in the deepest crevices, reflecting what little light there was. On these roads, there's nothing in terms of lighting, and what's worse is there can quite often be a large drop-off on either side of the road. Couple this with three to four feet of fresh snowfall and an inability to see any of the road, and you've got the potential for a lot of accidents. In order to combat this, there's eight-foot-high sticks at the sides of the road with reflective tape at the top, red on one side and white on the other. Drive between these and you should be okay. So I was driving and driving. The snow just hadn't given up and I was focusing on the red and white reflective tape to keep on the road. Up ahead, I saw the dim taillights of another car, a welcome sight as it was the first I'd seen in over an hour. Everyone else must have known that this was a bad idea to be out in this. Instead of focusing on the reflective sticks, I was now focusing on the taillights of the car ahead. I couldn't quite work out what make or model it was, a lightish white or light gray SUV of some sort, holiday makers. I thought this because I could make out their roof box and a bike rack. They too must have ignored the warnings to not drive tonight. When I sped up to try and make some ground between us, it seemed to speed up too. If I slowed down, they slowed down too. The space between us remained a constant. I decided that my headlights must have been annoying them in their rear view. 
so kept the distance as it was, blindly following their lights whilst being mindful to try and keep my tires in the most shallow bits of snow on the road, avoiding the occasional snow mound. A bit of time lapsed, I have no idea how much, as I'd now switched off entirely, listening to my mix of 90s old school dance, the howl of the wind and splat of the snow on my windscreen, and in between wiper swishes, watching the red lights ahead of me, glowing in the dark like eyes of a demonic beast, intent on keeping its distance. I'm very aware that I'm getting carried away writing this, but it's been a while since I actually wrote anything other than the daily emails to clients and customers, so it's quite nice to be able to put my memories down into a physical format. I noticed the car ahead started to take a turn off the road and felt a sudden sense of sadness and loneliness. I was losing my travel buddy, the only other sign of human life I'd had for the last few hours. I then realized that having been so intent on following the car in front, I had no idea where I was, which isn't an issue. I essentially just had to stay on the same road for three hours until I reached a fork in the road, turn right, and then onto the main road and see a little roundabout. Bizarrely, though, my sat-nav now just displayed lost GPS signal and had me as a dot on a white background, convenient as everything was covered in snow. It never did this. It had usually downloaded enough of the route to at least keep the map on the screen. It was then I got an overwhelming urge to follow the car ahead. I knew I shouldn't. I literally had no turnings I needed to make off that road, and I really didn't recognize the road they were about to take. And the more I think of it, I've never noticed a turnoff that goes down the side of the mountain like this did. But maybe I just never looked. I decided to follow it. Of course I did. If I ever think I shouldn't do something because I could end up in regret, I'll probably do it. Although, as I neared the turning, I started to doubt myself and thought I should stay on my road. But no matter how much I wanted to keep the wheels going straight, my hands and body wouldn't allow it, and I turned off. I didn't recognize this new road. I didn't recognize my old road when I was on that either, so it really made no difference. Everything was white. Everything was dark. Lots of trees and the reflective sticks. If anything, it looked exactly the same, like I hadn't turned off at all. 10 to 15 minutes later, the car ahead started pulling away from me, only slowly but faster than I wanted to drive in these conditions, so I let it. I couldn't really get away anyway, as there was nowhere to go from this road, so I figured I'd see it again shortly. Another 10 minutes or so passed of driving alone, and then in the distance, I spotted lights again, and this time I was catching up quickly. The lights were flashing in the dark distance, amber, nothing, amber, nothing. Great. My travel buddy has got their hazard lights on and they've stopped. I decided I'd have to pull over and see what was wrong. As I pulled up behind my buddy, a white Audi, possibly a Q3 or Q5, I'm not sure, I noticed the amount of snow on their car, surely far too much for them to have just stopped, and there's no tire tracks for me to pull into. But it was 100% the same car I'd been following. I came to a stop just as a woman in a big blue coat ran to my window waving her arms. I'm not the most empathetic of people, but it didn't take much for me to read the relief on her face and see that she'd been crying. She'd had to pull over because she'd had a puncture and then explained that she'd been waiting there, unable to call anyone as there's no signal, and thought she'd have to wait until the morning before she could leave. She'd had her ignition on while she listened to music and tried to keep the DVD player running for her little one, pressing the heated seat button each time it turned itself off until it wouldn't come back on. Her battery had died. I thought she was being a bit dramatic. It was literally only a few minutes since she'd just pulled away from me. She can't have been there that long. Over four and a half hours. That's how long she said they'd been there. Over four and a half hours sat in her car with her 18-month-old child 
and negative 12 degrees Celsius temperatures with no phone signal, food, or drink, and no way to heat up the inside of the car. So this wasn't the car in front of me for the last two hours, but it looked exactly the same. I mean, even down to the dark gray roof box and the bike rack. Coincidence? A big one. But that's all I can logically think. I suddenly felt angry. Angry that the car in front of me hadn't stopped to help. Maybe they thought I would? That's a bit presumptuous of them. I asked her if she'd tried to flag them down. And a look of confusion or concern spread across her face. She told me that there hadn't been a single car go past while she'd been there. But but I've been... I stopped myself from going any further, from explaining that I'd been following a car that didn't exist for over two hours. She was scared enough from being sat here in the dark for the last few hours. I jumped out and looked at her car, assisted by the light from my headlights, and I saw her little one fast asleep. I asked her if she wanted some coffee from my flask. She said yes. I knelt down in the snow. She'd already tried removing the nuts and had left the wrench on the floor next to the wheel. It was covered in a layer of snow and freezing cold. I jacked up her car, removed her tire, and replaced it with the pitiful space saver from the boot. I lit a smoke and pulled my car next to hers, connected the batteries, and instructed her to start up her car. Once it came back to life, we stood and spoke. Asked her where she was going. Sterling, she replied. Brilliant. I'll follow behind you. Again, I thought. That's on my route. She thanked me for helping her, for talking to her and calming her down. She thanked me for the coffee and gave me a quick hug. Quick enough to be meaningful, short enough to not be overly awkward from a stranger. She got in her car and set off. I got in my car and I sat for a moment staring at the all-too-familiar taillights of the white-grayish SUV with the roof box and bike rack, lit up a smoke, and set off. I sped up. I caught her. I slowed down, and she pulled away. Her speed remained a constant. I kept wondering how she hadn't seen the other car, the other car that was exactly the same as her car. I kept wondering how I now knew where we were, but yet we'd not turned off or turned on to any other roads. As we neared the civilization of the A roads, I started to become aware of the tracks left by my new travel buddy, the tracks in the snow left by their tires, the tracks in the snow that I'm 99% certain weren't there when I was following her or the other her before I stopped and offered her coffee. The snow eased as we entered a town called Kilimahog. We reached a junction and she turned right, I turned right. We were now driving in sleet, wet snow that leaves a dirty gray and brown slush on the ground. Wet snow that makes seeing much harder than normal dry snow. As we approached the roundabout, she indicated left for the first turning and I indicated right for the last and pulled alongside her. She looked waved goodbye, and left. Someone, or rather, something, took me that way that night, diverted from my normal route, made me feel as though I had no other option but to follow that car, guided me to a stranded woman and her child in freezing conditions with no food, water, or heating. I'm still unsure how to explain it, I've not really thought about it too much. I don't like not being able to understand things or give them a logical explanation. It just makes me feel uneasy. I certainly never thought too much about the paranormal. I've always assumed if the paranormal was real, it would present itself to me if it needed to. If not, I'd live in blissful ignorance. But now, I don't know. And to me, that's worse than knowing. I followed a car for hours. Car apparently didn't exist but took me to someone in need who had the exact same car. Ironically, I was in quite a dark place at the time and remember thinking that I could just easily drive off the road and it would be days until my car was found. Nothing like being alone with your thoughts. 
this ghost car gave me something else to focus on. The woman and child gave me a bit of an uplift. Our bizarre experiences with the forest behind our house eventually forced us to move out. I was eight years old when we first moved into the house on the edge of the forest. My parents had their doubts about buying a house with a backyard bordered by forest. They had their concerns about wild animals getting into our bins or hurting our dogs, and were worried one of us might go too far into the trees and get lost. But it was cheap. My dad liked the seclusion. My mom loved the house itself, and my siblings and I were excited about playing in the backyard and exploring the forest. Our first sign that something wasn't right was that our dogs were absolutely terrified of the forest. They never went into the forest for any reason. If a toy they'd been playing with found its way past the tree line, they would refuse to retrieve it. And when one of us went in, they would pace anxiously until we returned. On occasion, we'd notice the dog staring at a spot in the forest in obvious distress, sometimes growling or barking, but we could never see anything there. My brother once carried one of the dogs into the trees to show her there was nothing scary about it, but she wriggled out of his grip and sprinted into the house in a panic. If we were in the backyard when it was getting dark, we sometimes heard noises, like someone was walking around through the forest, sticks crunching underfoot, branches being pushed aside. If we called out, there was no response. But if we shined a flashlight around, we would occasionally catch a glimpse for just a split second of something that we could swear looked like a person walking around in the dark. My parents quickly banned us from entering the forest at all after dark, and even during the day, we weren't allowed to go out of sight of the house. My sister's bedroom window looked out at the backyard and the forest beyond, and she remembers looking out her window one night and seeing a shadowy figure standing right at the edge of the backyard. She said there was something wrong with it. Like it wasn't quite standing on the ground and it was a little too tall to be a person and it was sort of distorted and she was convinced it was staring at her. She called for our dad saying there was a man in the yard staring through her window and when he ran outside to chase off whoever it was, she continued to watch the figure. It didn't even move away. But when the light from our dad's flashlight passed over it, it suddenly just wasn't there anymore. We regularly heard knocking at our back door at night with no one there. Our parents thought it was teenagers playing pranks and stopped bothering even opening the door until one rainy night when the knocking was persistent and agitated. My mom pointed out that there might be someone needing shelter from the heavy rain outside. But when she opened the door, not only was there no one, but there were no even wet footprints on the porch. The knocking continued the whole time we lived there. It would happen several times in the span of a few weeks, then stop for months, then start up again. My parents eventually installed a security camera and there was never anyone at the door. The camera wasn't all useless, though. About three years into living there, my brother started having night terrors and sleepwalking. When he went sleepwalking, he would always go to the back door and start walking towards the forest. My mom, being a light sleeper, would hear the door open and would run out to get him before he made it into the forest. After the third or fourth time it happened, my brother asked to see the camera footage because he wanted to see how he looked when sleepwalking. I guess he was thinking it looked funny. The footage showed him walking out onto the porch, then pausing as if listening to something and shaking his head, then reluctantly walking forward as if being pulled or forcefully guided by something. One evening, my dad was in the backyard and he heard my sister calling him from the forest, seemingly in distress. Thinking she'd gone exploring in the forest and fallen over and hurt herself, he ran in and started calling to her. 
but quickly realized it was too dark to see her, and he couldn't pinpoint where her voice was coming from. He told her to wait where she was while he grabbed the flashlight, and when he ran back into the house for the flashlight, he saw my sister inside, safe and completely unconcerned. At the time, my dad hadn't told us about hearing my sister's voice in the forest, so when I heard my mom's voice coming from the forest months later while I was outside with the dogs one evening, I didn't question it despite the fact that I'd seen my mom inside recently and hadn't noticed her walk past me. My mom was calling to me saying she'd gotten her sweater caught in some branches and needed me to come in and help her. As I walked in, the dogs started barking, alerting my dad who saw me through the window, wandering into the forest. He came outside and called to me, and I said I was just helping mom. He yelled back that mom was inside, and I needed to run back to the house as fast as I could, which I did. After this, my parents had built a fence around the backyard and started looking for a new place. In the time between the fence being built and us moving out, it got way worse we would hear knocking at the door more regularly, as well as tapping on the windows, as if someone was walking the perimeter of the house and trying every window. We would often hear scratching and scraping sounds on the fence and voices beyond it. My brother's night terrors got more frequent, and one night, my mom didn't hear the door when he went sleepwalking, and he woke up standing at the fence, staring into the forest with the dogs barking at him. The last morning we spent there, less than four years after we moved in, we woke up to find the back door fully open and the security camera footage showed it slowly swing open on its own. Since moving out, my brother's sleepwalking has stopped. Though he still gets night terrors and he suffers from a pretty severe anxiety disorder, a few nights ago, he called out to me out of the blue, and after a bit of small talk, he asked me if I think the door being opened that final night means whatever was out there finally got in. He was trying to make light of it, saying he was getting into the spirit of Halloween, joking about how maybe we should all get exercise just in case something latched onto us all those years ago. But I think he's deeply bothered by everything that happened. I know I still am a little. I still get nervous around dark wooded areas. I don't know what I think was out there in the forest behind our house at night, but I get the feeling that given the chance, it would have swallowed us whole. Boy in the Woods. This happened to me when I was a teenager. I think it was the spring of 1998 when I was 14. My Boy Scout troop went hiking in the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas. I grew up in a very small town in Tennessee, and the boys in my troop were people I'd known my whole life, and we were all very close and knew each other very well and trusted each other. We'd been hiking for five days or so, and it was miserable. It rained every day, and we were all exhausted and sore and hungry and covered with blisters. The adults realized we'd bitten off more than we could chew in trying to hike a 60-mile trail, especially with the awful weather, so we changed course and had gotten off the trail to spend the night in a drive-in campground, the kind of place with hookups for RVs and picnic tables and fire pits grills and a central bathhouse with showers and toilets. It was in a very remote area, far from a town or a house. There may have been a few other small groups there, but if there were, we never interacted with them or saw any of them. We were all filthy and wet and thus very excited about taking a hot shower. It was dark and we'd finished dinner. A group of five of my friends, including my friend Jeremy, who like everyone else in our group, I had known since we were babies, headed up to the bathhouse, which was maybe a quarter mile walk through the pitch dark woods up a worn down gravel walking trail. I stayed behind to clean up and after 10 or 15 minutes followed them by myself. I had a weak little flashlight, the old incandescent kind pre-LED. 
I remember the woods were totally silent. When I got about halfway to the bathhouse, I could see the light from it off in the distance through the woods. I heard a noise to my left and I looked over and saw my friend Jeremy standing by an old school manual water pump about 20 feet off the trail. The kind of pump where you raise and lower a handle to pump water up from a well. There was a strange light around him, like the moon had come out from behind the clouds. I was startled to see him there by himself in the woods off the trail. I asked him if he was already done with the shower. He seemed kind of sad, and he said, yeah, it's all yours. I said, okay, and didn't think much of it until I got to the bathhouse. When I walked in the door, my friends were all in the shower, and I heard Jeremy talking from in the shower. All the blood drained out of my head, and all the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I had to sit down before I passed out. My friends were freaked out and wanted to know what was wrong. I told them what had happened. They nervously made jokes about how I must have just been smoking pot. This was long before any of us had experimented with any mind-altering substances. But I could tell they believed me. Like I said, we'd known each other for forever and knew when one of us was exaggerating or playing a joke. We all waited together until everyone was finished showering and brushing teeth and whatnot and then walked back together in total silence. When we got to the spot I had seen, whoever, he was gone without a trace. The water pump was there, though. No one had noticed it before because it was a ways off the trail and obviously not in use. We got back to our campsite and went to bed freaked out. I remember not sleeping much that night. And all the years since then, I've never been able to figure out what happened Was there a random teenage boy in the woods who looked just like my friend? Unlikely. Did I hallucinate it? Also unlikely. Who's to say? Strange Woman on the Phone I work in insurance investing, inspecting property claims, conducting site visits in the field. I typically call people about a half hour before arriving for the appointment just to make sure they remember the appointment and will be home. This one particular claim I had was in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour northwest of Pittsburgh. I call the homeowner's home phone number to let them know I'm on my way, and a very old-sounding woman answers the phone. We have a very poor connection with a lot of static, and she keeps saying, hello, can you hear me? Hello? So I say I'm going to hang up and call her back. I hang up, call back immediately, and nobody answers. I then call the cell number, get a much younger-sounding woman on the phone who tells me she's leaving the school where she just dropped her kids off and will be there in a few minutes. I arrive at the house thinking someone else is home, and ring the doorbell about the same time the homeowner pulls up in the driveway. When the homeowner arrives, she's a young woman in her late 20s or early 30s and sounds absolutely nothing like the person who answered the phone. I comment to her that I called the house phone, but whomever answered couldn't hear me, and said something like, I'm sorry if I woke your mother or whomever that was up. She looked confused and says I must have called the wrong number because nobody was home. Wanting to make sure we have the right information for her, I read back the number I called, and she confirms that that is her home phone number. She asked me what the lady sounded like, and I told her it sounded like an old woman on the phone. She turns pale and looks very scared, tells me I'm freaking her out because her family recently moved in, and she swears she has thought that their house is haunted by an old woman. So at this point, the homeowner is very agitated about what had happened. So I try to make sense of it and ask her if she thinks she should call the police in the event that someone had broken into her home and answered the phone. I walk around the home, checking the doors and windows, and the house seems secure. We enter, and she goes directly to her phone answering machine. Her phone has caller ID, and sure enough, both of the calls from my number are on it. 
the first time I called shows that the call was answered. And the second call shows a missed call. So at this point, she's really freaking out because caller ID shows that someone answered the phone. Again, I ask her if she thinks we should call the police, thinking there might actually be an intruder in her home who was nice enough to answer the phone. She declines and tells me about how she's been telling her husband she thinks the house is haunted and he has been making fun of her about it. And she's glad that someone else experienced something, but totally scared to death over it. The homeowner proceeds to tell me how strange things similar to this have been happening at the house, with a lot of activity taking place in the attic. Turns out, the attic is exactly where I have to expect the damage. She refused to go up in the attic with me and just pointed me in the right direction and stood at the bottom of the steps, nervously clutching a flashlight and her cell phone. I was pretty freaked out myself at this point, either expecting an intruder to jump out at me or to see a ghost. I got out of there pretty quick. Years later, I can still remember exactly what that old lady sounded like. I've tried rationalizing it, thinking it must have been the numbers got crossed or whatever, but the caller ID still showed two calls from me. The I-90 Ghost Car A few years ago, I was a university student in eastern Washington, but dating a girl in western Washington. I was visiting her for the weekend during the summer when we got into a huge fight around midnight and I left, deciding to head back to my apartment. I mentioned this for context as to why I was driving through Snoqualmie Pass after one in the morning. I'd never gone through the pass so late before, and what is usually a very busy stretch of freeway on I-90 was completely empty. I went well over an hour without seeing a single vehicle going either way. So naturally, I was driving way too fast. At the time, I had a 73 Chevy Nova. It wasn't quite the classic, but it had power and a complete lack of AC. Even though it was late at night, The combination of a warm summer night and the large amount of heat that bleeds through the engine meant that I had my windows down and was sweating. Not far into the east side of the mountains around 1.30, I hit a long stretch of straight road that doesn't have an on-ramp or any way to get onto the freeway, when suddenly, a set of headlights appeared behind me, something like 200 feet back. I glanced back at the lights, puzzled, as to where the vehicle could have possibly come from. I noticed that despite the fact that I was absolutely hauling, the lights were gaining on me. I decided to switch lanes and slow down a bit so it could pass. After a moment, the vehicle, now only half the distance, moved over behind me into the same lane. This is where I began to panic. I'm in the middle of nowhere, hadn't seen another vehicle in over an hour, and now I've got some aggressive driver running up on me. I watched as those lights got closer, 60 feet, 50 feet, 40 feet, and in seconds, it was upon me. I braced against the steering wheel, expecting to get rear-ended by a vehicle going much faster than me now. I watched my rearview mirror in horror, as those headlights blasted right into the back of my vehicle, and suddenly everything froze, quite literally. Nothing physically hit me, but the whole vehicle frosted over, and I could see my breath. I hit the brakes and did my best to pull over despite not being able to see through the windshield. Every hair on my body was standing on end. I got out of my vehicle and paced back and forth, examining my car, which was already starting to defrost as streams of water poured down it. There was no damage to the back bumper and absolutely no sign of whatever vehicle had hit me. Eventually, I calmed down enough to get back in the car and drive the rest of the way back, wake my roommates, and explain what had just happened. The next time I drove through the area in daylight, right about where I think the ghost car had hit me, 
there was a very old wooden cross, somewhat overgrown on the side of the road. Edit. Some answers for common questions. As to the location of the cross, I have a few points I would like to make. The first is that this was years ago, so I don't remember the exact location. The cross itself was difficult to spot. It was very washed out wood. It had clearly had writing on it at some point, but it wasn't legible going 70 miles per hour, and there's virtually no shoulder to speak of after pulling over. I spotted the cross several times over the next year, but in the last year living on the east side, I don't recall seeing it anymore. I cannot say with any certainty if it was still there or not, but my gut tells me it's been torn down due to weather and nature. I did attempt to look up any deaths along there and found almost too many stories with no exact locations. I eventually decided that I wouldn't have any real way to determine which it could be. But I was telling a friend about my experience one night while at the Iron Horse Brewery in Ellensburg, and a random older gentleman on the other side of me piped in that he'd seen it before too. He then finished his drink and left, visibly upset. I wish I could have asked him more about his experience. When I was younger, I almost died. What I saw, I can never forget. When I was six, I got appendicitis. I had this for a while, but each time my mother took me to the doctor, he just said that it was a really bad stomach ache. He told my mother that I wouldn't be able to do the things I was doing. I was a child doctor and I was playing with the toys and whatnot if I had appendicitis. Turns out, I did have appendicitis. However, my appendix was not in the correct place, which is why this hadn't been diagnosed earlier. On a fine Tuesday afternoon, I was at my babysitter's house while my parents were at work. My appendix burst, and I remember screaming from the pain, throwing up over the side of the couch and fainting into the pool of vomit. I'm told that an ambulance was called and I was rushed to the hospital. I remember bits and pieces here and there. And every time I came to, I would see an older guy I'd never seen before. And I seemed to be the only one seeing him. I can remember vividly what he looked like. He had a big unruly beard that was very salt and pepper slick back hair, and dark eyes. He wore a blank black Henley t-shirt with a faded leather jacket, tight jeans, and beat-up Converse high tops. I remember that the look in his eyes was one of melancholy and understanding, but at the time, I could only call it sad the way adults are when kids are hurt or upset. I only ever saw him a few times, I saw him in the ambulance. I saw him in the hospital in what I can only assume was when I was in the ICU. And I saw him a few times in my room when I came out of surgery. He didn't say anything most times I saw him. And I thoroughly remember him shaking his head a few times, chuckling to himself. The last time I saw him, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw that he was by my bed staring at my mom, who was asleep in the chair by my bed. As I looked at him, he turned and said the only thing he ever said to me. This sucks. I know. Sorry, kid. Shortly after that, I discovered the movie and book, The Outsiders, and I became obsessed with greasers. The guy I saw resembled this style, I think rather obviously. I wrote short stories, essays, and so on about the era, but as I grew older, I began to lose interest. But I never forgot the guy. One Halloween, a couple of years ago, I decided to dress up in random things I had that could be a greaser. This would have been 20 plus years later. I had a bet going on growing out my beard, so I didn't shave either. So I did my best to create the look of a greaser and asked my wife, we were dating then, if I looked like one. She told me that I looked like a combination biker and greaser because of the beard, but the leather jacket and greased back hair was perfect. 
I went to the full-length mirror in my father-in-law's bedroom to check everything out, and there I was, a slightly younger version of the man I saw when I was six. The biggest difference? My beard wasn't salt and pepper. I was in complete shock. My wife came over and asked me what was wrong. She said I looked like I'd seen a ghost. Go figure. As the years have passed since that Halloween, I've gotten rid of my leather jacket and I don't wear Converse all that often. I pluck the white hairs out of my beard because if I don't, I look more and more like that man. I have no fucking idea what the hell that was or why this has been happening. My wife tells me not to worry. She says everyone grays. I haven't told her about the man because it sounds fucking nuts. My appendix burst when I was six. I was rushed to the hospital, rushed into surgery, and I saw an older gentleman that never left my side, looking completely out of the place and with no one else seeing him. Now, I see that man every time I look in the mirror. Time slip glitch. They were not of this era. I don't really know what to call this. A glitch, a time slip, or just a weird coincidence. I'm really not sure. I'm from West Yorkshire, UK. I'm a 27-year-old woman, and this happened in 2010 when I was 15, and I remember it as if it was yesterday. Here's my story. Me, my mom, grandma, and friend all went to a local coastal town for the day, somewhere we'd been many times before, at least three to four times a year because we have family who live there. Ever since my mom was a child, we've always traveled the same route through the countryside rather than the motorway because we like to stop off at what we call a halfway house to grab a sandwich on the way there and a drink on the way back. We always stop at the same places because It's just part of the routine and what we've always done and enjoyed. On this particular day, everything was normal. We had driven to the coast, stopped off for a sandwich. The sun was shining. It was a normal, lovely day. However, on the way back was when it got weird. We set off mid to late afternoon because we wanted to miss all the evening traffic and to make sure my friend got home at a decent time. The journey felt normal, We traveled on the same roads as we always had and was planning to stop off at the usual pub for a drink. In the space of about five to 10 minutes, we noticed the weather had really changed. It had gone from being a glorious, warm, sunny day to being gray, overcast, and quite cold. We didn't think much of it. And then my mom said, oh, I don't know where I am. Confused. We just said we must have taken a wrong turn, but she was adamant that she has been on the same road for the last eight miles, a road we had traveled countless times. We wondered if the road had been altered since the last time we visited because now none of us recognized the road or the surroundings. We looked for familiar landmarks that would hopefully guide us in the right direction, but there was nothing but fields for miles. We began to notice that the road we were on was very quiet, and we seemed to be the only car driving on it. Nothing had passed us in what seemed like ages. Me and my friend began to get anxious because of how weird this felt, and we were worried about being lost. My mom calmed us down and told us not to worry, and that the next village we drive through, we will just pull over, and she can reset her satellite navigation up. In 2010, phones didn't really have maps or anything yet. Not like we do today anyway. After 10 minutes later, we saw a couple of houses in the distance. As we approached, we noticed there were two semi-detached houses, a small farmhouse and yard, and an old-fashioned level crossing for trains and a pub. My grandma suggested we pull into the pub so my mom could reset her sat-nav and we could have our halfway house drink while we were there to help calm our nerves. We entered the pub. It was empty, except for an old man in a rocking chair in the front of the burning fire. He stopped rocking the chair abruptly and stared at us as we walked in, as if in shock. He was wearing brown work trousers with braces, black boots, a cream shirt with a knitted vest, a flat cap, and was smoking a pipe. 
as if he stepped straight out of 1910. He didn't speak, just stared. We approached the bar. The barmaid landlady was walking behind the bar and halted in her tracks as soon as she saw us, again, as if in shock. We asked if the pub was open due to it being so quiet, and she stuttered, Oh, yeah, yes, it is. What can I get you? We all asked for soft drinks, me and my friend being underage at the time, my mom being the driver, etc. The lady scrambled around getting us the drinks, then looked baffled when we tried to pay with bank cards. She used paper and a pencil to add up the cost of our drinks, so we paid with loose change to make it easier for her. To the right of us was a narrow staircase, and down ran a little girl around the age of seven or eight. She was wearing white tights, brown brogue-like shoes, and a burgundy pinafore-style embroidered dress with a hand-knit cardigan, and her hair was in ringlets. She gasped and also looked surprised to see us and looked between us and the lady behind the bar, presumably her mother. We thanked them and took the drinks outside to one of the wooden tables. The man in the rocking chair began to rock again, but watched us intently as we walked out. We sat down outside and with hushed voices spoke about how weird that whole situation was. We noticed how there wasn't anyone else around. I mean, no other cars in the car park, no other people in the pub or beer garden, and no people walking the streets near the houses. The place seemed deserted, abnormally quiet and stuck in time. As we quickly finished the drinks, A man in a van pulled up, got out, got a pickaxe and spade out of the back and looked over to us and said, oh, visitors, and went inside the pub. We got back in the car as quickly as possible and left within a matter of minutes and were on the road again when we all recognized that the sun was shining once again. The whole thing was so bizarre and unbelievable. It's all we could talk about the rest of the journey home. We were trying to understand the situation, the unrecognizable roads, the old-timey clothes, and the overall feel of the place and how the people reacted when they saw us, as if we were aliens. So that's my story. The memory of it is all still so clear, and I will never forget the expression of their faces. We still talk about it to this day, 12 years later. All our memories are so clear. It was possibly the most strange experience of my life, and I felt like I wanted to share my story on here to get others' opinions and see if anyone had experienced anything similar. Something very strange happened to me on my drive home. I still can't wrap my head around it. I think I somehow ended up like in another world on my drive home? I don't know. Let me explain. I was driving alone on my way home. It was around 10 p.m. and I had just dropped my kids off with their dad for the weekend. He lives about 30 miles away from me. I had my radio on and just was singing away. I love nighttime drives. They bring me peace. The road I was on is a road I take every single day of my life, literally. I am very familiar with this road. I know it like the back of my hand. The road is a back road that leads from the town my kid's father lives in straight to my town. I always choose taking this back road over the interstate because they've been doing road construction and the interstate is restricted down to a one lane with the other lane being oncoming traffic. Anyways, I was driving along, radio blasting, singing to the very top of my lungs and only about 10 miles from my house when the radio completely went static. And when I say static, I mean, it actually did the weird static sound and then completely went silent. I looked around and all of a sudden I couldn't recognize where I was. I hadn't made any wrong turns. Keep in mind, this is a road I travel on at least twice daily to get to work, drop my kids off, etc. I knew for a fact I was where I should be. The landmarks were all the same. Same hills, similar tree lines, 
But the buildings that were there before were all gone. And the road looked, well, old. I slowed down just to take it all in, I guess. There was a wooden structure on the side of the road, and it looked maybe like an old cottage house, and I had never seen it before. Strangest thing about the house was that there was an old buggy outside. When I say buggy, I mean like a horse and buggy type of thing. A little further ahead, I noticed a light. When I got closer, I realized it was a small little fire out in the front of another structure. This structure was very similar to the other. It looked super old. I believe it was a house. Next to the fire was a man. He was dressed in old time clothes. I literally stopped to look at him. I was so shocked. He had on suspenders, a white shirt, very long beard, and he actually noticed me and ran inside. I started to pull away when he came back outside but this time with the woman. The woman was dressed in one of those dresses that bell out at the bottom. It was like they were from a totally different century. He pointed to my vehicle and his wife or whoever she was covered her mouth with both hands like she was in shock. It's almost like they had never seen a car before, at least not one like mine. I only drive a 2017 Yukon, LOL nothing special. It's just my mom vehicle. Anyways, the man and woman just stood there with huge looks of disbelief on their faces. They kind of seemed scared, honestly. I pulled away, kept going, and noticed that nothing was the same as how I remembered it. I mean, literally nothing. There were no street signs anywhere. Side roads that were once there were completely gone, only to be replaced with fields. And I knew for a fact, I wasn't going the wrong way. It's literally a straight shot from my kid's father's house to mine once you get on that road. You don't even have to make any turns. Literally impossible to get lost. There were wells on the sides of the roads that I had never seen before. Old structures that looked like 18th or 19th century houses Sorry, I'm not too familiar with centuries or anything like that, but these houses did look like they were straight off a little house in the prairie. I mean, everything did. There were horses tied up, fires going, people dressed in old-time clothing, and nobody had a vehicle. Everyone that saw me pass by looked absolutely petrified. I mean, even the air felt different. Everything was different. I kept driving for about three or four more minutes, past a few more structures, some that looked like little stores, and then all of the sudden, boom, my radio comes back on, the air feels normal again, and I look around and I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm driving on the road. I knew I had been on the entire time, just a little further down, and everything looked normal again. Keep in mind, I did not make a single turn, not even one. This road is a straight shot besides a few curves. The road didn't look old anymore. There were no more old houses or strangely dressed people. I was so confused that I actually pulled my truck over, did a quick U-turn and went back, only to find absolutely nothing out of the ordinary there. Nothing. I know what I saw. It was not a daydream. I mean, I didn't fall asleep. None of that. I literally made eye contact with the one guy in the suspenders before he ran to grab his wife to show her my vehicle or whatever he was pointing out to her. I have lived here my entire life, 25 years. There are no Amish communities here. There are a few about three hours north from me, but none here. And I've taken this road two times a day for the last 10 years, just about. I truly don't understand. Why wasn't it there when I immediately turned back around? I don't know what has happened to me. It's almost like I stumbled across an entirely different time or place, maybe slipped through some sort of portal. I do not know. I've been searching this app every single day for over a week, trying to understand, but I'm still empty-handed and I don't know what else to do besides just post my experience, and I hope maybe someone has some insight. My background is very normal. 
I have no history of mental illness at all. I'm a very happy person. I smoke weed, but actually hadn't smoked that day at all. It was a long day full of work. I don't drink. I wasn't under the influence of anything at all. I can't explain it away because I vividly remember exactly what I saw, right down to the look on those people's faces and how old everything seemed. Please, somebody link me to something similar so I can try to find an explanation for this. It's all I've been able to think about and I can't explain it away. I'm a very rational person and I just love an explanation. Edit to add. A few people have asked me to add a better description of the actual old road to the post. The road was no longer concrete like it normally is, but it wasn't gravel either. The best way I could describe it would be to say it was like a very well-packed down dirt, but you could still tell it was a road, even though it was just dirt, if that makes any sense. Edit to add again. Now that I understand what happened to me, all thanks to the amazing people of Reddit, I'm curious. I didn't want to add this originally because I wanted more of an answer to this experience, but because something like this, whether it be a time slip, glitch in the matrix, or what have you, cause someone physical pain? The reason I'm asking is because after it happened and still to this day, it's been about seven or so days since the experience, I feel like I was in a car wreck. I'm actually physically sore. My back hurts so bad. It feels like it's bruised, but it isn't. I'm truly physically sore like you would be after a hard workout or a car wreck and have been for seven days now. It's finally getting a tad bit better, but I find it odd and wondering if it correlates due to the timing. Dorm roommate's doppelganger. 54 years ago, I was a 19-year-old college student in a small town Tennessee university during its second year of integration. At that time, all minority students were lumped together in housing. Thus, my roommate was a brown-skinned, sweet, lovely girl named Jackie. We became best friends. I was a city girl, and Jackie was a country girl whose home was a mere 30-minute drive from campus. Usually, we would spend weekends in her hometown because the campus and surrounding businesses were like a ghost town. Nothing open. Not even the school's cafeteria. We were on our own as far as food was concerned. The town depended heavily on the students for its vitality. Since most students went home for the weekend, the town was desolate. Like I said, we normally vacated the campus on weekends, but on this bitterly cold Saturday afternoon in the winter of 1967, we stayed on campus. I forgot the reason. With nothing else to do but watch television, we settled in the TV room in the basement. A word about the basement. Like most basements, it's dark and creepy. I never go down there alone. The kitchen is down there along with the laundry room, restroom, a couple of empty dorm rooms, and the TV room. The TV room swung open on hinges that allowed it to open without a knob. Another girl was in the room, sitting in a chair in a corner, her legs tucked under her. So we were forced to watch what she was watching. So we lounged on the big couch, and a brief moment later, Jackie got up and left out of the room, saying something I didn't catch because I was absorbed in the TV program. Right then, the TV lost its horizontal hold. Wavy lines started going up and down as televisions were apt to do back in the day. The girl in the chair didn't move, and she was closest to it. I guess, being white, she saw me as a subservant and that I should do the dirty work. I did get up and go over to the TV, but I resolved to just change the channel. It's important to know that the TV is located perpendicular to the wall of windows that looked out onto the patio, which were eye-level to the ground. Remember, we were in the basement. To get to the patio, you would have to climb six steps, push open the release bars on the double doors, which were chained during the winter, as the patio, tiled with leaves and debris, was off-limits. So, there I was, fiddling with the horizontal hold, when a movement outside and a flash of green caught my eye. I looked out the window, 
And stepping down onto the patio from steps leading from another dorm that shared the patio was Jackie. My only alarm at that moment was Jackie outside in the blistering cold without a coat. Then my second thought was, how did she get out there so fast? The nearest doors were outside steps, then circle around the corner to the next dorm, go along the sidewalk to the steps leading down to the patio with no coat. I mean, this is asking for hypothermia. Then too, why would she even be out there? I said aloud, what is Jackie doing on the patio? She walked straight towards the window, making eye contact with me. During those 15 or so seconds, I managed to take in her clothes. The same thing Jackie was wearing, a green sweater and a skirt. She limped across the broken tile leaves covered surface. A blister had rubbed on her heel from her penny loafers, and I could see the band-aid on the back of her heel when she walked along the bank of the windows. Most chilling was the smile she gave me. A knowing smile. Not quite evil, but sinister, nonetheless. The TV room door swung open, and for a split second, I took my eye off outdoor Jackie to see Jackie come into the room. I screamed, Jackie, come over here. It's you, quick, oh my God. Of course, by the time Jackie limped across the room, the other Jackie had vanished through the surrounding brick wall. I won't go into more of the resulting story, only to say I was close to a nervous breakdown. I received counseling and was able to complete my education. I told some of my teachers, they scoffed at me, so I just stopped talking about it. No, I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't hallucinating. I did not imagine it. The dean of women, sensitive to my otherworldly experience, moved Jackie to a different dorm. Whenever I would encounter her on campus, I would wonder, is this the real Jackie or the other? Then, years later, I was watching a rerun of Twilight Zone. A woman named Millicent Barnes kept seeing herself in a bus station, attire and suitcase the same. And when she attempted to get on the bus, herself was already seated, looking at her and smiling like she had the upper hand. It seems when there is a rift in the time-space continuum, the doppelganger can slip through into our universe and replace us. But I was there at the inopportune time or the opportune time to save Jackie. All I can say is I hope I never encounter myself. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blaming on the Aliens. I want to personally thank everybody who has become a new listener, who has followed along thus far. I am only, this is my ninth episode in, and I'm really like just blown away by the amount of support and listens and just exposure that I've gotten somehow. And thank you to those of you who have rated me on um, Apple Podcasts. It really does mean a lot to me. Like I'm so pumped about this podcast. And I feel like this outro moment is my moment to rant, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I just wanted to make that clear. Like, I love Reddit stories that creep me out. And so I kind of started this on a whim and I really am thriving doing this. So that's very nerdy of me. But if you love this podcast, then I guess you're a nerd too. So thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who have been supporting me, spreading the word, sending it to a friend of the genre. It means the world to me. Um, If you have your own story, I don't even care if it is not of a certain theme, if it's just something scary that happened to you and it's not that scary, send it to me. I love listening to people's stories and I would love to either feature them on the show or like chat with you about it either way. So I've now activated my voice memo um, link. You can go in my description show notes, click on it and send a voice message. If you're not comfortable doing that, you can feel free to type it out and send it to my email at blameitonthealiens at gmail.com. And I would love to feature it if you give me permission to do so. So if you have not already rated me, go ahead and 
please go rate me five stars if you are enjoying it thus far. If you have any suggestions to me, you can also email me those suggestions if you think it sucks. Let me know what I can improve. I really am not faced by criticism. I'll take any productive feedback that I can get. So this is a rambly ass outro, but I think that's all. I think that is it for the night. That's my first like small feat in the paranormal subreddit. And I promise it'll get more intense as we go on. So I will see you guys next week and goodbye.